Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Welcome to the Eating Crow Podcast. Here's your host, Pete Durand. Everyone, welcome to the latest episode of the Eating Crow Podcast. I have, well, probably my mentor. You could be called a mentor before, Josh. <laughs> no, this is that's actually a first. My, pod, my <laughs> podcast. I'm an apprentice in the podcast world from from, from Josh Peach. So uh, Josh and I go back years, and uh, you know, I've met more good friends through my wife. That's awkward to say, though, isn't it, Josh? Some, yeah, sometimes that would make it, make it awkward. You but probably get that a lot, though, don't you? Yeah, yeah, once <laughs> once or twice. <laughs> so uh, Josh was the first guy that I reached out to and I decided to do the podcast. He had uh, jumped into this world earlier in the year and has been successful at it. He's also a Patriots fan, which drives uh, my wife nuts, but Josh and I are both Patriots fans. And, and uh, we were talking about the sadness of Tom Brady leaving, but Josh is already over it. Yeah, he's he, he, he's just he's temporarily gone. I think he's got a good 15, 20 good years left. So uh, after after he learns down in Florida that that hot that hot heat wave stuff sticks around, he's going to come back up to cold New England and uh, fill up his other hand with some more some more some more bling and throw for another five years. Exactly. So, uh, Josh, I, I've, I've been looking forward to this partly because I think you're a highly entertaining podcast host and should be a great guest. But um, you know, there are several things in your background that I want to drill into. Uh, I want to talk about the Be Awesome Project. I think it's great. You got the t-shirt on and, um, and the fact that you have acoustic mats partly up in your office right now. So you're pretty serious about podcasting. Oh, yeah. Well, you got to, uh, you know, and I appreciate this. This isn't a very often that I get to be on this side of the microphone. Uh, but no, the acoustic is as partially for the... Uh, the echo in here, but it's mostly for the chaotic uh, Captain Chaos two and a half year old running in the background with his uh, little cars and devices. So um, this whole work from home, be at home all the time, you gotta gotta adjust accordingly. You know, my dog is outside my uh, doors in my office room, looking at me like, why am I not in there right now? Yeah, mine's snoring on my feet, so I'm surprised you can't hear her. Uh, 140 pounds of twisted steel and sex appeal, just snoring like a chainsaw. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> so Josh, um, let's walk back a few years. You've been at uh, Dude Solutions, which is, for those that don't know, an incredibly successful software company story based uh, out of Cary, the Raleigh-Durham area in North Carolina, um, started by a couple of good friends of ours. And you've been there kind of from the beginning and your current title is Evangelist, which I don't know that there's another one. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's a couple out there. Uh, it was actually started by a, a gentleman, well, I don't know who it was started by, but the most uh, well-known one is his name is Guy Kawasaki. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Apple. And so, so he was the Apple evangelist, uh, and he essentially started that whole role. And uh, there's a number of companies that that have had ev evangelists or have evangelist roles in their companies. Zappos had one uh, for a period of time, but um, mine's kind of unique. Where uh, you know, Guy Kawasaki had a pretty set role. What he was trying to do was. Um, while they were rolling out the, the new product, they were trying to keep the people that were the flagship Mac 2E or whatever it was in 1984. Mm -hmm. They were trying to keep those people happy while they're developing the new technology and the new rollout of products. Um, so he was more internal evangelizing. 
Um, and then there's outward facing ones. And I've kind of done both, uh, whether it was intentional or not, which is kind of unique. So um, I started as, I titled it the ambassador of goodwill. Yeah. Uh, I was, as you say, I'm, I think employee number, I was one of the first employees. I'm one of the, I'm like third or fourth most tenured now with about 450 employees, but I was in the first group of 20 or 25 folks that came on board and I was a door to door salesman for a long time. And then I was a sales manager. And then in 2014, 2015, there was a, a need for uh, really a lot of uh, outreach with clients and associations and partners. Uh, and so they, they developed the evangelist role, which was also known as the ambassador of goodwill because I didn't want, I wasn't comfortable with evangelist for a little while. Um, and just kind of grew into the role, uh, kind of like my beard. And uh, it's been, you know, a pretty amazing five years. I've been to 42 states, I think five Canadian provinces. I've done hundreds of keynotes and general sessions and, you know, tens of thousands of people in a typical year. Uh, I would get to shake hands, give a hug or a high five too. And, uh, you know, it was definitely uh, a lot of fun. Well, make, that, making before 2020, you were able to do that. Yeah, before 2020 hit, I was on a real roll, and now I'm. Uh, um, my my beard is 163 days old, and this is the longest I've been home on any given stretch since 2002. So, wow. uh, definitely a a different experience. Not not necessarily. I, I really have enjoyed being home. Uh, I miss seeing uh, our clients and the people that make a difference in the world. But uh, it's been uh, definitely cool to be home and and be with my family and my snoring pup. Well, right now, Guy Kawasaki is doing a podcast going, yeah, I really was inspired by this role by a guy named Josh Pete. <laughs> <laughs> Someday. That's what's yeah. happening. Yeah. I'll tell you what, he was, he was a, uh, when I first got this um, uh, opportunity, I actually reached out to him and like, he's got like a million followers on mm -hmm. LinkedIn and like, he's, he's a pretty well known guy. Uh, and he actually responded and he was really helpful uh, for me. And there was one, I actually did a, a day at Zappos. Yeah, Las Vegas and their uh, evangelist was was really uh, insightful and helpful for me to help me because everybody's an evangelist, right? If you love yeah. what you do, so you love what you do. Um, your post that got the kind of all of this stuff going, that video that you did mm -hmm. about eating crow, um, you're an evangelist of the company that you work for. I mean, you just speak enthusiastically and passionately about what you love and that's what you do for work. And that's what I do. So it's kind of like, a lot of people say it, uh, but to have the actual role is a little bit of a different, you know, to actually have the role and do it and be it and, and everything that encompasses, it does take a little bit of work. Well, it's forward thinking for the dude to even created the role. And, and, you know, when you mentioned the amount of miles you put on the customers you've talked to, there's nothing, nothing better when it comes to customer retention than doing that. Yep. yep. Right. And doing it in a way that people ask you back and then having them want you to speak in front of their peers, that says a lot as well. Yeah. Well, you know, I was actually watching a video. Um, every Monday I spend about a half an hour finding someone. So you might be next Monday. Um, every, mo every Monday morning, what I do is I, I, so someone will pop in my head and I will, I'll look them up. I'll see everything that I can find on that person, uh, videos, podcasts, interviews, whatever. And there are people that have touched me in my life in a positive way but it's just to get my Monday going yeah. remind, reminders, what have you. So today was, was a uh, Joan Warren Maddox, who was, yep. who was our director vice president of client services who started and, and sadly left us all way, way too soon. Way too early. Yeah. Um, but she did, she had a video on legendary client support, which is what we, what we strive for at dude. 
And the, the video opens up, it's perfect. She's like, legendary client support is easy. And the reality is, it, it's true. It's this very simple components. You have to care about your clients. You have to care about what you do. You have to be a team player and you have to want to make a difference in whatever it is that you're providing and know that it makes a difference. Once you have that formula, everything else falls into place. And uh, that's something absolutely dude has been very forward thinking with, with all of that. Yeah. Watching the, the depth at which your customers leverage the product and the relationship you have with them, both from a technology standpoint and a service standpoint, um, and by the way, they're all good people, aren't they? Oh yeah. Your yeah. customers are, they're good people. They're the best. They're yeah. actually, um, our clients are arguably some of the most incredible. Uh, we call them our unsung heroes uh, because they're primarily operations and maintenance professionals and in the large percentage are in education, public education, uh, private education, colleges and universities. Um, they don't go to work every day for the money. Like there's, no. you know, they're, they're, they're going to work because they have a pride of ownership because they live in the community they work in. They went yeah. to the schools that they, that they work in. Their kids go to schools in the places that they work in. These are the custodians that hold all the keys that know all the kids that are crying and why. These are all the maintenance and operations professionals that are digging in, turning wrenches, making sure that people have MERV 13 filters in every HVAC piece of equipment, whether they need it or not. Um, they're just really... Uh, I love them. I love everybody that I get the opportunity to serve and work with uh, day in and day out. It's been a, a, an amazing, actually 23 years. I worked with these guys in a previous life uh, going back to 1997. So I'm a, I'm the dude dinosaur and, and definitely been around a long time. You know, I spent six years uh, doing something similar in the law enforcement space. We supplied digital cameras and technology for law enforcement. And I had the pleasure of, you know, crawling around cop cars with officers and helping them record video and capture video. And obviously, you know, when I was doing that 10, 15 years ago, it looks a little different than video looks today. Right. Oh yeah. I mean, video today is being used uh, as a way to achieve an objective. Yeah. Uh, and we'll just leave it at that for now. But back then when I was doing it, every one of the police officers, I'm, and by the way, there are good people and bad people in any profession. hundred percent. There are right. Yep. But the vast majority of the people are good. Yep. Right. You don't go to law enforcement for the money. Yeah. Um, you know, these people cared about their communities. Uh, they put on that, that badge every day and put themselves in harm's way. And I don't think people recognize that, that they're actually there to do that. I mean, that is their job is to protect them. Yeah. I, uh, it's funny. It's funny you say that. I actually went out to, um, um, Colorado two years ago, and the, the, the actual statistics I might be off on, but it's, it's either the lowest or the, one of the top lowest um, average life expectancies of an occupation is police officers. No kidding. And it's not because of, um, you know, being shot on the job or anything. It's, it's actually their health. There's actually a, a, a health a company that provides uh, health programs to get police officers back into better shape because think about it a police yeah. officer has uh if you want to make good money as a police officer what do you got to do work details so yeah. you're going to work you're going to work your eight hour beat you're going to be sitting in a car most of the time you're going to eat eat on the fly if you're lucky and then you're going to lose more hours by working details so the abuse your body takes they were showing all these it's brutal they were showing all these reports it was like a, a healthy looking 35 year old when they went through all these tests so like you have the, the body of a of a, of a 60 year old yeah. Um, but I think that the, the national average uh, life expectancy and it's, and it's, they, they go into knowing this, it's like 56. It's like, it's not, it's not 
you're not getting old as a, as a police officer. You know, we did the, my fitness company would do this. Uh, we do our, our project for um, our service for a lot of trucking companies as well. Mm-hmm. And the HR people we dealt with said, look, here's the crazy thing. We, we don't just want our, our drivers to retire. Mm-hmm. We want them to retire and live. Most of them die within five years after they yeah. retire. Yeah. So Isn't they, that crazy? They work their whole life, save all this money. Yeah. And they for die. nothing. Yeah. Nothing. So it's, uh, it, it's awful. Um, so, so Josh, let's, let's step back before the dude, you know, you know, tell me about how you got there. Tell me about where <laughs> you're from. I mean, I'm, I'm curious yeah. as my dog comes squeaking into my office. With yeah. Me. Yeah. That's cool. No. Uh, yeah. It's, um, it's a pretty interesting story, I guess. Uh, a lot of people like it. I, I definitely am not uh, one that went the typical route of what someone would, would expect. I actually was not a scholar. Uh, it took five years to graduate high school, which I barely even did at five years. Uh, I had to test There's it. There's a podcast right there. Oh, 100%. Yeah, 100%. And uh, actually, my, my safety school was my only school, which was uh, the local community college. Mm-hmm. Uh, I went there for just under three years, uh, still considered probably a second semester freshman and under uh, double secret probation with a, a G- GPA under one. Uh, but I got here. Uh, amazingly, I sold a guy a cell phone in 1996. I, uh, cell I phone in 1996. Yeah. My, my success in my life and career uh, all came from one transaction in 1996 when I was 22 years old. Uh, I was working for a startup cell phone company. Uh, the, the guy that owned it, I told the story last week and people were like phone book. But uh, my first day, the guy that owned it walks over with a yellow page, just drops it on my desk. And he says, you can start at the front, work your way back, start in the back, work your way front, whichever one motivates you more. But call through every one of those and sell as many people phones as you can. So I did that because it was my job and, and uh, the phone very rarely rang. But on sure. it, was, it was like my f- second week on the job, August, beautiful Boston, Saturday was going to go down, see, see my friends down the Cape, go to the beach, hang out. And uh, phone rings Saturday morning. I'm in the office. We close at three. And this guy says, hey, I'm coming in. I want to buy a phone. And I'm like, bang, easy sale. Eight bucks. Come my way. You know, because that sure. was like my average, average commission, I think. And so uh, look forward to it. Gave me his name. Gave me his phone number. So figured it was legit enough. He, uh, he was late. It was 3.15, 3.20, 3.30. I'm still in the store. No, everybody else has left. He calls about 3.30 or 3.45. He's like, I'm, I'm 15 minutes away. I'll be right there. And I was like, all right, no problem. Just I'm, I'm here. You know, but in my head, I'm like, this is crazy because I just want to get, get out of here and go sure. hang out with my friends. And, um, so he shows up. I go through the whole process. I sell him the phone. He says, how much are you going to make? And I'm like, I think my commission on this deal because I just basically talked myself out of giving you everything uh, about eight bucks. And uh, he's like, why did you stay? Why did, why, you know, you could have left, you could have done anything. I was like, that phone book over there, that's my job. So you calling in and saying, you're going to buy a phone. I take good care of you. My hope is that you're going to find other people I can take good care of and keep me out of that phone book. And uh, he just immediately said, and I don't even know the guy didn't even, he was like 55 years old. I'm 22. It's Saturday he shows up late. All stuff's going on. He says, you want a job making more money? I was like, who doesn't? And he says, I want you to drive to Saratoga on uh, Monday. This is Saturday. I want you to meet the vice president of sales. You probably know him, Bill Foster. Yeah. Uh, so, so I didn't know who he was. I, I, didn't even have, I didn't even own a suit. I had to go and buy a suit because back then you had to wear a suit for an interview. Never did a resume. Sure. 
use a typewriter for my resume, drive three hours out to Saratoga, sit with Bill Foster, one of the most intimidating people that I'll ever sit, sit with, two and a half hours of a, a interview, and uh, definitely thought I failed it. He, I get up to, to walk out, and he's like, hey, uh, when you, while you're leaving, you see this gap on your resume here. It's like two years. Um, were you just out partying and having a good time or like, what, what's this, what's this missing piece here? And I was like, Oh, well, I didn't think it was that important. Uh, but when I was 18, I, I had a little property management side hustle, um, that I, for the ladies, I called myself an environmental engineer, but in reality, I was just a glorified toilet cleaner. And he's like, do you have any idea what we do? Cause back then it was dial up internet. I just knew the company's yeah. name was ACT. I didn't know what the heck it was. Sure. I was like, yeah, I looked at it briefly. He goes, you do realize that we're a, a work order software company that actually provides and justifies the jobs that you have. And I'm like, that's great because I just lost my contract last year, as you can see on that gap, and just had a laugh. Drove home, and the fax machine went off, and there was a job offer. And uh, I, went to work, I went to work for uh, ACT, Kent and those guys, for about a year. Uh, it was awesome. I had a zero expected sales number quota for the first year. And uh, I sold Williams College in my first 90 days. And so they were like, oh, okay, you know, you got to. This guy can sell. You can sell, yeah. And uh, so then they went through a bunch of stuff. I ended up, uh, we could say getting laid off. I got fired. Um, (laughs) I don't think, I think you either get hired or fired. I don't think there's any in between. But uh, yeah, I got, I got, I got let go um, about a year later and uh, bounced around, did a couple things, started a spring water delivery business. Sold that, and literally, it was 2004. My beard was looking like this. Uh, I had a little time off, and these guys, the guy that I sold the phone to, started working at Dude. He was the first salesperson. He brought me back in, and uh, that's that's the abbreviated, long version of of how I got here. The fact that you got your offer in a fax machine says it all. Oh, it was amazing. I got I drove three hours home. And I'm like, there's no way I got this job. I'm such an idiot. Two and a half hours, and the one question that could have got me the job was on my way out. And you hear it, and it used to be the roll. So it'd be like, and the roll out. And, uh, yeah. the, you know, the paper, the contract came out, it was all curled. I still have it. It's hysterical. Oh, like, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, but yeah, it was, it's, been, it's, been a, uh, it's been an amazing journey. To date, that's the only resume I've ever actually produced. I wouldn't know, you know, how to write one uh, if, if I had to. I hopefully, hopefully, I don't ever have to, but uh, yeah. Well, the, that kind of longevity is unusual. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, I mean, the people you're working with and the people you worked with at the dude are pretty rare bunch of folks. Oh yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, your wife, your wife was there and, and you know, that when, when, when we hire people, it, it's the, the talent is there, right? It's you, you see the talent and it's goes along the lines, you know, we, we've been very focused and I, and I think I have to, to, to a point with, with Jim Collins book, good to great. Uh, and, and, you know, a lot of that revolves around if you have good people, even if, even if they might not be in the right seat in the bus, get them on the bus. Absolutely. Then figure out which seat they belong in because good people are hard to find. Loyal people are very hard to find. I mean, our first, from 2004 to 2014, our turnover was like nothing. Yep. Like if, if we had, if we had five people leave in a year, that was a lot. And, and typically they left because they were going on, you know, maternity leave um, they were moving someplace that they couldn't work from anywhere. Some something. It wasn't like they left unhappy. They were they, people. People are upset that they leave. Like there were there there are people that like that left for whatever reason. They, they're like, I wish I never left. 
Well, I remember talking with Lee and he said he realized when it became different is when he got on the elevator and didn't know someone. Mm -hmm. He said, that's when things started to change. Mm -hmm. And by the way, if you're successful, you're going to go through that growing pain. You're going to go through that phase. But when you stop being able to mention everybody by first name, you know, obviously things become a little different. And when you think, when you think about your role at the dude and then how that led to be awesome, you know, walk Mm -hmm. us through this, uh, Fantastic uh, periodic table on your chest. Yeah. So, uh, so this is this is definitely uh, one for the books. So I actually got a. Um, I have some people that are in sales training. You know, sales world. You, you and I know a couple of them, and the ones that we know are are, are great. Um, but I have a number of people that reach out to me that will ask me about my my concepts or understandings or you know, there's not many salespeople like you say that are in a company that are in, you know, the, the million dollar ARR market that are still selling at a hundred million ARR and going through, yeah. cause it's that, that type of sale is different. It changes, right? You're, yeah. you know, you're door to door for a thousand bucks and now your average AR, your average sale is, you know, 20,000 or a hundred thousand. It's, 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 it's definitely unique. So um, it was, uh, it was January of 2018. Uh, someone that actually makes money selling sales trainings calls me up. We had a nice long talk. And just ask me, you know, what, what's, what's so great about sales? And I'm like, nothing. And he's like, what do you mean nothing? I'm like, there's nothing great about sales unless you care. Like if, if, if you're just like this, cause all these people talk about the money, all these people talk about, you know, you're going to make so much money if you're successful in sales and you're going to do this and you do that. No, you're going to be successful in sales if people are happy with you and if people trust you and if people like Bob are getting people to buy phones from me because I did a good job for him. And if you stand by people, you have to care. And I just, I, I reemphasize that because I'm so, I'm just so over listening to the money side of things. Is it, it's absolutely the highest paid, hardest working job you can have. You can make more money than a doctor. You can make more money than just about anyone with a, with a, with a, with a long college degree. It's the lowest paid non-working job. Absolutely, 100% will not deny that. But if you go into sales just primarily on the money, then it's it's all bets are off. You're you're not making anything good for yourself, the occupation, or the people that you provide the service to. So we got done with the call. Couple week or two later, there's an article on LinkedIn, like an independent, like not Forbes, I can't remember what what write-up it was, but this person had an interview. And it was like almost our conversation verbatim but it talked about acting as if you cared, yeah. which so many people do that. They're like, you have to at least act interested. You have to act as you have to act that. And that's, it's BS. You have to be all into it. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so that, that night I was so frustrated. Amy, my fiance and I are uh, drinking uh, a bottle or six of wine and uh, you know, bottle one, I'm, I'm just sitting there and I'm just kind of dwelling on things and bottle two, it's like, man, I'm really pissed. You're starting then, to get clarity. Right. Right. Yeah. Everything's coming out. Right. And so bottle three, Amy's like, you know, what's the matter? I'm like, I'm just so frustrated. Like I wasn't given credit for the article, which is fine. I'm not about credit.com, but the fact that so much stuff was taken out of context and put out there and I'm just like, I'm angry. And she's like, well, what are you going to do? And I said, well, I'm going to write a book. And she's like, you're going to write a book. And I said, yeah, I'm going to write a book. And she's like, what are you going to call it? And I'm like, if you don't care, you don't count a handbook for salespeople. And she's like, wow, that's crazy. That's actually silly enough to work. What a, yeah. you know, how, you must, you must've been thinking about this for a while. And I'm like, yeah, since the fifth class of wine. Yep. And um, so I started like jotting down things and 
got to about, I don't know, March or April. And I'm like, this book is going to be terrible because like, think about it. Like you're trying to get across the idea of being positive and having a positive mindset and the, the, the reason for caring. And my stories are all examples on how people don't care. And the examples of the septic and toxic society of salespeople that are just focused on money. And, you know, you're 20 something years old. I'm sure that I was at times in my life at 20 something years old. If I was to read that book, I don't know. I I might think a little bit differently, but I might be insulted, but I probably just close it after like page five and be like, this person doesn't know what they're talking about. I'm going to get my, you know, my big body bends and drive to the baseball game or whatever. Yep. So I spent a while just trying to think about it. I have a couple of people that I consider mentors, uh, people, you know, a couple of that's ahead of me. And, uh, one of them got done with a run for whatever reason, instead of wine, it was a run for him. And he called me and he's like, I got it. He's like, I'm like, what? He's like, you've been wearing it. Cause I've been wearing this shirt for a while. Um, I, I have books that say, wake up and be awesome. Everything that I try to talk about is like about being awesome. He's like, the title of your book is going to be be awesome. The essential elements, the kicking ass, and it's going to be all the positive stories and it's going to be all the, the, the cell phone right. stories and everything. And so <laughs> I didn't spend 10 minutes. Didn't even think about it. No business, you know, no business uh, modeling or anything else. Went on legal zoom, spent 600 bucks, developed an LLC, got everything moving and uh, was, was set to write a book to help. And it helps your speaking. You do public speaking. So yep. If you write a book, your public speaking fees automatically go up your notoriety, everything. So you're able to do more. And so we started going down that path. And uh, same guy calls me a couple weeks later. He's like, you got to get your brand out there. You got to do a podcast. I was like, fantastic. Great idea. What do you do with podcasts? So I had to find a podcast mentor. Uh, Brian Andreco was my, my guy. Um, and my, my town's library actually did a, a training that you could go do on Saturday morning. So I would go and learn how to do podcasts and run audacity and all this other stuff. And, uh, so I did a podcast under my pear, uh, my peach tree. My last name's peach, uh, with Steve, the rooster, who's a jerk. And it was okay. And I did the second one, uh, by myself and it was okay. And then I was like, light bulb, I got to do what you're doing, which is just sit back, relax, say a couple things and let all the great people that you have in your life take over. Absolutely. And so my third episode, I was going to Alaska. I was going to Fairbanks, Alaska. My brain's a very confusing place most of the time, but every once in a while something clicks. And uh, I was like, I remember reading North Pole, Alaska has got a guy named Santa Claus. And so I tracked him down. I looked him up. He's city councilor. He's like one of my best friends now. His name is legitimately Santa Claus. He had changed his name. He's a uh, Christian monk. He's chosen a life of minimalism, like just like this awesome, awesome guy. And uh, so he's my third episode. So I bought, I had uh, 10 of these shirts made to sell on the trip from here to Alaska. My go- my goal was to sell them out of my suitcase. I was going to wear a shirt. I was going to sell the 10, 25 bucks a piece and give them $250. Yep. You know, you know bootstrap company, uh, you know, wanted to make this thing uh, work, but I also had a newborn at home. So that was my, that was my genius mindset. I'll spend, you know, I'll spend a hundred and change for, for 10 shirts. I'll sell them for 25 bucks. I'll eat the shirt costs and give $250 every sure. And uh, so I went into a, <laughs> I went into a subway on my way and this kid's just like working behind his making a sandwich and that. He's like, Dad, I love your shirt. And I'm like, sold. So I go out to the car. I knew what size he was. I come in. I'm like, you're a large. I'm like, yeah. And I hit him the shirt, tell him it's 25 bucks. And I looked at his face and I'm like, you know what? Just keep it. And uh, so I gave the shirt. There's, there's 10 red shirts, by the way. There's only 10. There's 12 in existence. Two that I have that I wear. 
Santa's uh, Santa's got one, uh, and then the others the a subway so worker and whatever. Yeah, yeah. The, well, the the uh, the fire the, the the assistant fire chief for North Pole Alaska's fire department because he gave me a tour and I got a couple of their T-shirts. And it was like a, a swap. Sure. Long, long story short, I go on the podcast. I haven't sold any shirts. I got like I think five or six of them left, and um, I got nothing to give Santa Claus in North Pole. So we're doing the podcast, and I'm like, I tell you what, I'm gonna start selling these shirts. I don't know how many I'll sell, but uh, everything Santa Claus does is to advocate for uh, foster and homeless kids. Mm-hmm. There's three million of them in the United States today. Um, I can't remember. The, I remember the statistic. It's something like there's an 82 percent chance that there's a, a homeless or foster child in every classroom in the United States today, at wow. least one. So uh, Santa did all this stuff for me. So I start selling these shirts. Represent the three million. I'll give three dollars of every shirt forever to a homeless or foster program. So uh, we started going down the path of selling T-shirts. No book writing, doing a podcast, selling T-shirts. And the first round we did was for uh, Fairbanks Youth Advocates. Uh, I think we gave them almost three grand nice. uh, over the course of four four months trying to sell it. So we've we've done that. Um, still working on the book, trying to chip away at it, but it's just been kind of crazy. The the beauty of everything that's happening right now is I was way too busy with public speaking. Um, that's, and that's not, that's not really a fair statement, but I was so busy. I was so lucky to be busy without having to put too much out there. My, my website that people will see it's, it's primitive at best. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I didn't have to do a lot of marketing. I didn't have to put together a prospectus. It was, it was very simple. I always go on the concept that, you know, if I can't trust your word, I can't trust your signature. So mm-hmm. if you called me and you said, Hey, I want you to come do our keynote in Houston, Texas. Well, great. I'll book everything. It's going to be X amount of dollars. And I'll go, do you want a contract? And I was like, why? You know, it's pretty simple that I, I, I trust that you're going to pay me. And if you don't, you know, by the time I get there, I guess I can turn around. I can eat that, that, that flight cost. So yeah. it, it was very, uh, you know, for the first two and a half years, I, I didn't have a single uh, issue. Uh, well, I had a lot of issues, but I didn't have any issues with that stuff. Um, but this has given me an opportunity to fix a lot that would, if it broke down the road, um, I would, I don't know that I'd be able to recover. Yeah. So, but that's, wow. that's be awesome. Uh, how it was started, where it came from. Uh, we've trademarked the logo, um, you know, selling, selling shirts, sell, sold face coverings for a while, but uh, primarily shirts. And we've got a couple of special edition ones and, and we've, we've helped a number of, a number of uh, organizations and many people with it. So all thanks to Santa Claus. That is a fantastic story. I mean, uh, you've met Santa Claus. Yeah, multiple times. I went up. I went up to give him the check. We went and had breakfast, and uh, I went to a diner with him, and I had a, a an omelet with reindeer meat, which is very uh, uncomfortable and awkward. But uh, he was cool with it. Yeah, that is a bit odd that he's he's comfortable yeah. eating his transportation. Oh, he didn't. I did it. I, oh. I, he, he, I think he. I think I don't think he's a vegetarian, but he definitely doesn't eat reindeer. Yeah. Um, but he's one of the most solid humans you'll ever meet. Just like fascinating. You just sit here and listen to him. And, and like, if you were to imagine Santa Claus, I'll send you a picture. It's amazing. Like he legit fills the bill. We were flying in from, uh, I think from the Midwest uh, around, we left and, and we were at the RDU airport and there was a gentleman who the airport had hired to walk around to Santa Claus. Yeah. This guy wasn't just, he, yeah. He he believed one hundred percent. Yeah, his outfit two grand minimum. Yep, easy two grand. His his boots were real handcrafted leather made in some boot shop somewhere. Yeah, 
and he had he had four outfits. He said he'd wear them, you know, one each day. And we flew back in, he was there again. I mean, it was it was legitimately impressive. Yeah. So you know, that's his Super Bowl. Yeah. 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 You grow that beard all year. Just keep just had that that one month of uh, Thanksgiving Thanksgiving to December twenty fifth because December twenty sixth you got to disappear again. Putting that outfit on, he was he was fired up. Oh, yeah. So, Josh, I'll, I'll, I'll ping one at you. You know, when you think about uh, our, the, the principle of the podcast, which is eating crow, and, and we did, it got started because we, we dropped a customer and had to eat some crow to get him back. But I think yeah. in all walks of life, you know, there are times where we think we got it figured out. Yeah. And then we don't. Um, you know, you mentioned your, your B plan, your, your safety school. Yeah. <laughs> what was, uh, what was it that caused you to rethink the A plan and, and, and go into the safety school? What was that? What was that? Oh no, there was there was the, there, there was a safety school. It was the same school. I only got into one school. I I uh, I went to apply to a couple of colleges. I had the school principal, Duncan Oliver, was my school principal, and just an he was the only person um, that believed in me. We had this thing called sessions. Mm-hmm. Um, it was like it was detention, but it was called sessions. You had to go to the cafeteria. And you, you played the number game, which you got to pick a number. And if you, you pick the right number, you clean the cafeteria. And when you were done, you could go. So you could do it in like 10 minutes and you were out. Okay. Opposed, opposed to sitting there for an hour. So in my first two months of, of high school, 10th, it was 10th, 11th, and 12th was our high school um, because of the way the student buildup was in the buildings. My first two months of my tenth gr- first year in 10th grade, I had accumulated so many sessions that I couldn't play the, ch- the, the cafeteria chair game. Uh, I was going to have to be in there the entire year. I had hundreds accumulated. Like there was no special treatment. There was no anything. I was just kind of, yeah. And um, I just was, I just had, I had, I had a lot of challenges and, um, and very few people that believed in me outside of my family. And he was one and he literally told me, he's like, you know what? We could do a bunch of things, but what I'm going to do is I'm going to have you come to my office every single day after school and you're going to spend an hour and you're going to do your schoolwork. You're going to do your homework because you're obviously not going to do it at home. You're going to figure out a way to get out of it. You're going to, you know, do, yeah. do whatever. You're going to come to my office and any day that you can't get a ride or you can't ride your bike because I live six miles home from my house, but I could ride my bike if I wanted to. Yeah. Um, I'll drive you home, which was like 10 miles out of his way to go home himself. And uh, wow. yeah. And um, so he wrote me a, a very nice letter kind of explaining my situation and, and considerations and to, to give me an opportunity and uh, I sent the first um, application out and, you know, obviously it immediately came back. And I was like, yeah, no, no, you're good. It wasn't even like, like, I was just talking to my buddy about this. It was like, it was UMass Amherst. Like it was called yeah. ZooMass. Like it was just a party school. Like you could, anybody could get there. It was like a bunch of people. And it was like, yeah, no, they were like, yeah, no, you're good. And then I just, I was like, I, I got a, I think I got a 660 or 760. 760 was the tops. I, I'm fairly certain it was a 660 on my SAT. And wow. you get 500 for your name. Like, I don't even know where they found that other 160 or 260 points. Cause I know it wasn't me. I was just doing guesswork. I don't even think I bubbled in half the stuff. Um, so yeah, so I gave up once, once, once the, the, the school, once the school that I think everybody that applied to in my, my grade got in and I didn't, I just was like, you know what? School's not for me. I'll just go to community college. And I'm glad I did. Cause I would have been wasting my money or my parents' money or whoever's money that, you know, would have paid the tuition. I would probably been still paying off student loans, uh, and would have gotten the same result. What changed in your uh, What changed in your outlook when you took the job selling phones? That said, uh, I'm going to be I'm going to be driven and successful at this. What was it? 
you know, my drive for success was never, um, my, my drive to be successful was never something that, that I didn't have. It was something okay. that I, that was something that I didn't, didn't, didn't position in the right way. Um, so, so, you know, school wasn't fun for me, but school was great for me because I sold, you know, when I was a kid, I used to go and buy candy and, and gut, uh, jelly bracelets and whatever else and sell them out of my locker. I mean, I was making money when I was in, you know, when I was in grade school and high school selling stuff, I was, I was always selling things. Um, and I was always interested in, in success, but I, I just, I just didn't, it's not to say that it, I, I don't ever want to say to someone, I have full expectation and hope that my sons go to college. I think that the experience is something they should have. I think that the relationships that they can build is something great. I hope that in many aspects, the education system catches up with, with us because we're, life is moving very, very fast and education isn't. Um, as, would, as far yeah, as I would agree, as far as a lot of that stuff goes. So, but f- I would encourage my kids to go to college. I wouldn't say, you know, follow in my footsteps because it ain't, it ain't an easy walk. Um, but I've always wanted to have a level of success, but it was measured in, in periods of time in life is always measured differently. Right. When I was younger, it was always measured by money. And to, today it's measured by making a difference and you still got to make money because without margin, you can't accomplish your mission. But, um, so, you know, Josh, it's a couple things strike me. Have you been in touch with that principal? Yeah. Yeah. I actually invited him, um, so I graduated in 1994 mm-hmm. and I hadn't talked to him until 2016 mm-hmm. and, uh, or no, I'm sorry, 2015. It was during the polar vortex. Um, I tracked him down and I called him and I invited him for a, for, I would pay for all of his expenses if he would come down to Charleston, South Carolina to have me so I could deliver a keynote. Uh, and he said, you know, thanks, but uh, I'm not doing a lot of traveling and I really appreciate it. And I, I talked to him for about 20 minutes and uh, I thanked him because realistically I knew I was probably never going to see him again. Mm-hmm. Um, I probably may not ever talk to him again. And so I wanted to make sure that I got everything out. And so I just said, you know, thank you that, you know, all of what I am or what I've done or what I hopefully will do. Um, a lot of it is thanks to you and your belief in me. And uh, he said, I always believed in you and I always knew you could accomplish great things. It just took you a little bit while, a little longer to figure it out and catch up. And um, that meant a lot, you know, and, uh, and, and, and you knew that with the conviction in his voice, even, you know, 20 plus years later, sure. Um, he remembered, he remembered me. He remembered me in his office. Like it was like, it was yesterday. Um, so yeah, no, I got, I've gotten to talk to him once and um I've invited him and he said, if I ever have a, a gig close to his home that I should give him a call. And, and I haven't looked him up um, in probably a year or two, but I, I think I probably am due a, a phone call to him. It's great that you did. And it, it, it doesn't surprise me that you did either. I mean, when you have people in your life that make an impact, you want to make sure you, you continue to let them know. Yeah. Um, you know, you, you mentioned the college thing and I've got two that have gone through one that's on his way and is a freshman this year. And, I think it's going to be an incredible debate over the next 10 years, how people can try to justify the value of the college education. Yeah. hundred percent. Cause like you, I, I, I'm not, I, I, with all due respect to the college system, I don't think any one of my kids came out of there more intelligent or smarter than when they got there. Right. What they did get was a social education. Yeah. They, they, they learned how to deal with people at their best and their worst they were away from home and on their own had to figure it out still in a pretty 
nice environment. Let's be honest. Colleges yeah. are not what they used to be. But the actual knowledge you obtain is highly speculative. One of the best people I've ever had working on a team with me, this is you know, 25, 30 years ago, was a guy that, that didn't have a college education. And when we were interviewing him, you know, all of his competitive candidates did. And, and they said, why do you want to hire this guy? I said, you recognize this guy has 35 rental homes and a complete business. He doesn't need to be working. He just likes the technical challenge of this. He and his wife run the other business. He's, he's more wealthy and more successful than anybody in this building right now. He should be interviewing us. Mm -hmm. And I said, I, he, he will, by the way, he will figure out how to get this done better than anybody. Right. So I, I struggle at the, at the price point, whether it's worth it. Uh, and hopefully it's going to take a groundswell of a movement for into the challenges is nobody wants to be left behind, right? Nobody right. wants to be the, the parent that stands up and says, Hey, I'm not sending my kids to college because I think it's stupid. Yeah. They're going to go do this. Nobody, it's the fear of missing out. Yeah. Well, I mean, I don't know if you ever saw this video. It came out in like 2006 or 2007 and you just search YouTube and it's shift happens. Yeah. Oh yeah. So, you know, they were doing comparisons of like, if, if MySpace were a country, it would have, it would be the 13th largest country. Nobody even knows what MySpace is mm -hmm. if you're, if you're under the age of 25. Um, but what they said back then, back then in 2007 was that, that the majority of kids that go to start college today, the career that they're training for will be obsolete by the time that they graduate. Yeah. And so I believe that college has a place for a certain group of different um, degrees or specialties. Uh, but I think that hands-on training, I think that we're going to see a shift in, um, in, in technical schools and learning, oh, yeah. you know, electricians and carpenters and plumbers can't find them. These guys are making $150,000, $200,000 year one doing apprenticeships that, that doesn't, it doesn't cost college tuition. I love, I, listen, I love education. I love uh, the education system for a number of different reasons, but I see these kids um, and I, and I lectured at some colleges. I'm very lucky that I lectured at the Wentworth Institute of Technology a couple, couple times a year, sometimes for the last seven plus years. Um, I see these kids coming out with massive debt or their families in massive debt or their families spent their retirement. So the kids could go through college and the guilt and the anxiety and the stress and, and, and the reality that the, the, the job world for these kids, it's hard. Like, like I wouldn't want to be 22 right now. Like, think about being, you know, this whole COVID thing and everything that's going on in the world, it, you really have to put a hat on for every person of every age and every place because it's different. And I wake up sometimes and I go, if I was 22 years old, just learning about what the world is like being official taxpayer out of college and all this stuff. I don't know how I wouldn't be anxiety ridden every day. I mean, I tell people that it's not good fortune, but in my career, in my life, in my work professional career, I've gone through Y2K. You try yeah. talking to somebody that's under 40 right now, but Y2K and the hell that that brought on lived it. Yeah. yeah. 9 11. That was huge. That was, mm -hmm. that was, you know, life changing personally, professionally, everything. Oh, yeah. Um, Mars, SARS, swine flu, Ebola, you know, worst recession of all time. Like we've, yeah. for me and you, we've had a lot of prep to be right here right now and realize that at some point we're going to get to the other side of it. These kids getting out of college that had to do remote learning for the last half of their senior year. And now they have to go out in the workforce and they're like, 
this is great. You got to work from home. Now I'm going to be antisocial, whatever. I mean, it's a lot. Um, we just onboarded two new salespeople today. Unfortunately, our, our head recruiter and two of the people at the team she's going to be on and that they're going to be on and our VP of sales are in the office with them, socially distanced in a big conference room yep. while they video in the rest of the company. So it is going to be a very strange world. You know, my, my oldest son uh, interned in commercial real estate the summer of his before his senior year and had a great time, loved it, loved seeing things built and developed. So he accepted a job. They offered him the job and yep. they gave him two comp packages, salary with a certain percentage commissions or 100% commission. And then you, it's really how you make your money. And at the time, they're all like, that's, that's the path you got to take. Go for the big risk, do whatever. Graduation January, yep. COVID hits in March and he's like, I'm probably in the worst profession you could have. Yeah, yeah. Very cool. Yeah. Nobody's in offices anymore. And he's he's grinding, he's learning, he's pivoting, he's trying to adjust as they are. Uh, but you're right, it's it's a lot to wake up in the morning. He's got college loans and he's looking at it going, how, how am I gonna, you know, how am I gonna handle this? Yeah. When, when he gets through that, which he will, yep, uh, he will be bigger, better, and stronger, and he will be way better than most, and he'll be better than than the people that took that that comp. You know, variable comp with the with the with the salary. Telling 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 him that now, you, you know, I wouldn't stand within striking distance saying that because I'm sure that that's not necessarily the way that you feel. But you know, this this whole COVID thing, I, I've I've screwed up. Be awesome. I, I I mean, I just basically screwed everything up on March 16th, and in working through it all, even today, it's like, well, on the other side of this, I'll I'll have a lot less mistakes I might make. I've collectively made all my mistakes in a really small amount of time, and I'm definitely documenting them so that I don't make them again down the road. Um, but you you yeah you'd be you'd be amazed at how much you come out of it. And the most important thing, you're gonna have a story. Like that's yeah. the biggest thing. Like nobody cares about when you're successful. Like nobody cares about you know having a nice car and a big house and a boat and a plane and all that stuff. You know what people care about? People care about when you're digging and you're grinding and you're sleeping on your buddy's floor when you're in a startup because you can't yeah. have a hotel room when you got to go, you know, you got to go to the office. I was talking to Pat Buchanan the other day, who I think, you know, yeah. and, and for the first four years of dude, when I would go down to the office, cause I'm in Boston and they're based in North Carolina, I was living on his living room couch. Like yeah. there was, there wasn't an option. And that's the stuff like that you sit there and you go, that's, that's what got us to this success piece that everybody wants to hear about. Nobody wants to hear about, you know, all the stuff that's easy. They want to hear about the challenge. They want to hear about the grind. When I was trying to land uh, GS GlaxoSmith clients, one of my first customers at, at Rival when I started my fitness startup, they called me on a Sunday night and said, hey, we got you a meeting at headquarters in London tomorrow morning at 7 a.m. I had a PowerPoint, a, 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 an alpha, but not even an MVP software product had shot the first amount of videos, had $211 in my checking account. I had a couple hundred thousand dollars in credit card debt that I used to, to fund all the operations up to this point. So I called my brother and I said, Dave, I can't flip. I need you to buy me a plane ticket so I can fly to London tomorrow morning. And I landed in London and we had some friends from a previous career that lived there. And so I, I told my wife, Julie, you know, I said, Julie, I have $200 in a checking account. You can't buy toilet paper today. I got to take it out in pounds get a cab over to, you know, wherever it is. And then I got a cab back over to GSK and had to wait six hours for my meeting at four o'clock. I sat in the lobby for six hours at their headquarters yep. with a bottle of water and nothing else. Got the meeting, showed them the product, said, this is fantastic. Love this product, but we don't do business with startups. Come back to us in two years. 
you, you couldn't have told me that on the phone? Yeah. And then they said, well, now let's go to dinner. And I'm like, well, I know I'm the vendor here, but I, yeah. I can't take you to dinner. Yeah. And like, yeah. no, we got it. We we're going to go to dinner. You know, so I, I went to dinner and I told my cab driver, he gave me his phone number. I said, look, just meet me here at this time. I have 43 pounds left, whatever it was at the time. <laughs> and uh, we got done with dinner. Like, well, thank you very much. We still love it. We want to follow you, see what's going to happen. Where are you staying tonight? Now, I said, I'm staying out by the airport. Yeah. I was staying at the airport. Yeah. <laughs> I took the ride back and I slept on the baggage scale in the airport from 11 at night till seven or eight in the morning with my bottle of water, got back in the plane, didn't eat, didn't anything, flew home. Yep. And uh, I said to my wife, I said, we're going to get them. And eight months later, I launched a pilot in six countries and six different languages, the platform, and it was wildly successful. Yep. But those are the stories, right? Where you, Oh yeah. Yeah. You, you got to do it. Oh yeah. The, the, the sleeping at the airport stories is great. I mean, those are, I, I slept at Newark airport on my flight back from interviewing with dude. Uh, we ended up, uh, getting stuck there and they were going to keep us there for six hours. And I didn't want to spend the money for a hotel. Cause I knew I was going into a startup that I was going to make yeah. significant, significantly less. I'm like, I'll just sleep on the chair. And, uh, what was funny was years and years later, it was like two, two years ago, I'm traveling with a sales rep, great guy, Matt Leitner, Buzz. Oh, I love Matt Leitner. Yeah. Buzz is the best, right? So yeah, he's, he's awesome. So he, we're going out to Denver and uh, we're connected in Charlotte and uh, got him because of my travel, I occasionally get upgraded and the people that fly with me get upgraded. So uh, he gets upgraded. He's all excited. We get to Charlotte, high likelihood we're not going to get out. And uh, turns out we don't, we're, we, it was a, it was a complete calamity of errors. The hotels were oversold. We couldn't get in a hotel. Not, nothing was working. So we end up back at the airport at one forty-five in the morning for a seven thirty flight. I'm like, well, I guess we'll just find some space to sleep in. And I'm laying down. I got nothing. I'm just sitting here miserable on the carpet at Charlotte Airport. He goes in his bag and he pulls out the American Airlines blanket. I'm like, what? Where did you get that? He goes, you think I thought you think I didn't think we were going to be stuck here? I want to be prepared. I got one of those nice first class pl blankets. I'm sure they won't mind. I'm like, dude, how's this work? I get you the upgrade and you steal the blanket. And lightning. I, it, by the way, it's so not too. He's such a docile, nice guy too. Oh yeah. Well, I mean, he, 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 he knew something I didn't. Well, he worked for me at Rival for a while and I was running with him and I actually did a, a blog post on LinkedIn called Chasing Lightning. Yeah. He wrecked me. Yeah. Yeah. I could not hang with him. Yeah. He's, yeah, he's, he's, he's good he's, people. He's good are, people. You want to know something? You tell that story and you know, what's amazing is and what, 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 you know, kind of always attracted me to having, you know, I, I, I like a no jerk policy. Like I don't have any jerks in my life and I only, yeah. I only have best in breed quality humans that I want to spend any time with. And I typically can find that pretty quickly. And, it, and again, it doesn't, it's the success of who you are and what you are and everything is, is irrelevant to the person that you are. Yeah. And um, I can remember a time early on and I can't remember, but I know you were, you were having, I knew you, you were having some challenges with, with rival that yeah. were, that would put stress, uh, it would put a 10,000 pound elephant on anybody's back. And I can remember one day calling you, this was probably 10 years ago. Um, and I was just like, hey man, how's it going? You're like, every day is a great day at Rival. And granted, it, granted, it could have been the worst day in the world. Like you could have had every loan called in, you could have anything, yeah. Yeah. It, but, but you were genuine. Like you were doing, you always do whatever you can to make it a great day wherever you are. And that's something that's very, very rare. Uh, it, uh, well, Josh, you do the same. And uh, I, 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 it's good to have good people on the program. Yeah. I love your story. And, and we could go two more hours just on oh. having, having good people in your life. 
Yeah. And we should. So I'll, I'll return the favor and go back on, <laughs> on be awesome. And we'll talk about awesome people. Yeah, no, anytime you got an open invitation, I think that, uh, that the other side of the, the other side of the coin, I can get to listen to you for a while and, uh, and we could tell stories. Uh, we just had, I just had Stolhansky on, uh, how was that a couple of weeks ago? That was great. He just went out to, um, what was the, what's the P90X guy's name again? Tony Horton. Tony Horton. Yeah. He just went up to Tony Horton's house and did a P90X program with a handful of people, you know, social you really? distance. Yeah. He's in great shape. Uh, he is in good shape. Uh, Stolhansky's in great shape. Um, but yeah, he's, he's got a whole bunch of stuff going on. Keep him busy. Um, well, he but, was the reason I, he was one of the inspirations for me to start rival. Really? Cause when I, you know, I did P90X in a dare back in 08 and I saw, Slansky in it. And I kept on telling people, there's a guy with one leg in this video. Yeah. And this crap is hard. Okay. Yep. And, and I used to tell people all the time, if you have all of your limbs and digits, you inherently wake up every morning with an advantage. Yeah. And there are people with none of the above that still wake up in the morning and think they have an advantage. Just put your head in that place. Yeah. So he was one of the reasons I, 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 I would, I would use him as an inspiration all the time. Yeah. Well, it was, it was interesting. So when I brought him over to Prevost's house that night, and you like, you literally legit like lit up. I was like, I didn't know you were a fan of Super Troopers. And you're like, oh my God, P90X. And you just bent his ear. And I'm like, wow, that's, that's pretty wild. Like that, but that, again, that, that inspiration, that motivation of someone like, and he, and I asked him that, I was like, you know, do you, do you have a lot of people that reach out to you and they're like, Hey, you're an inspiration. He's like, I don't, you know, not really. I don't, you know, I don't have like letters coming in the mail, but he's like, yeah, people do, you know, he does make a difference in people's lives. He's made a difference in my life. Um, I think I drove him back to the, to the dude or the airport and one drove of back to the airport. And, 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 yeah. and he was laughing cause I'm in the car like, oh my God. yeah, I'm so yeah. excited. Yeah. It's like, calm down, buddy. B meanwhile, I parked my uh, rental car in the bushes at the double tree the night before. Uh, cause they didn't have Perfect. any parking, parking spaces and I wasn't sure I could find it. So yeah, you, you, you definitely helped me out. It was, that, so yeah, we, we came back from we came back from Prevo's house, and uh, literally there wasn't a parking spot to be found, and there was just like this 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 tree uh, over the curb. There was this tree that you could that I could park under and kind of quietly hide. And uh, you know, so the next morning we get in the car, and he's like, "Yeah, um, I'm actually going to get a ride to the airport. Hope you don't mind." I was like, "Was it something I drove into?" It's like, "Come on, man!" But yeah, no, that was that was a good time. Safety first. Absolutely. Well, Josh, it's been a pleasure. Uh, I look you forward too, to my having friend. you on the show again and joining you for a, a Be Awesome podcast and, yeah. and uh, reconnecting. It's been great. Much success. I love what you're doing. I, uh, I can't wait to hear the episodes. It's one of the best topic titles and descriptions. And for someone that's got an episode zero and already have four ratings, you are like, you're better than like 60% of the, the people out there already. So congratulations. Well, thank you. Those one stars mean a lot. <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, you gotta, you gotta do, you gotta, you have to do this. You gotta tell people the difference between one star and five star. You gotta make sure the five star is the best. One star is the worst. Cause you'd be surprised. Some people put you know one star and then they give the most glowing review and you're like, what are you doing? Like, it's like an Uber rating. I need yeah. a good Uber rating. Yeah. 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 I gotta get, I gotta get to that five. I I'm do. like, a, I'm a, I'm a 4.9 and I'm like, who did I offend? And by the way, people <laughs> shame you when you're under a 4.9. They're like, shame you. They oh yeah. They shame you. Yeah. And they, and they, and they question if you're a 4.8, whether or not they want to pick you up. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I, people aren't asking me, you know, what I do for a living now. They're just asking me to pull up my app and show me my, show them my Uber. Yeah. Rating. Yeah. 
Yeah, uh, we're going to go ahead and um, we're going to skip all the formalities. Uh, where are you on the Uber rating? Because <laughs> it tells you what kind of person you are. <laughs> Josh, have a great uh, have a great night. Thanks again, and you, uh, I'm looking forward to reconnecting. You too, my friend. Thank right, you. Brother. Take care. Bye. Thanks for listening to another episode of Eating Crow, available on all podcast platforms. You can follow Pete on Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, and Instagram to join the Eating Crow community. Be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. We'll see you soon.